Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a new treatment that may be able to reverse hearing loss, how new solar energy storage technology could eventually power our phones, and the surprisingly grand history of chickens. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Nate, did you know that almost 40 million Americans suffer from some amount of hearing loss? I had no idea it was that common. It is, and that's why Frequency Therapeutics, a biotech company, is hoping to help those people and the nearly 1 billion people around the world who also suffer from it by inventing a way to reverse hearing loss. Well, that would be great, obviously. I imagine they're doing something different than making hearing aids. Yes, it's not a device or an implant. They're trying to regrow the fine hairs that help us hear. They do that by supercharging the cells our body already has. The results have been promising so far. That's great. How do they do it? It's a regenerative medicine that targets the hairs within the cochlea. The cochlea, that's part of your inner ear, right? Yes, and it is crucial to hearing. Now, humans are born with about 15,000 of these hair cells in each ear, but we lose them over the course of our life to things like loud noises, aging, and infections. So, is it a bunch of tiny hair transplants? <laughs> no, not, not transplants. The medicine works with an injection into the ear that turns what are called progenitor cells into specialized hearing cells. Progenitor cells? Yeah, These kinds of cells are super similar to stem cells. Stem cells can become any type of cell, but progenitor cells are a bit more specialized. They are kind of locked into one kind of organ or tissue, but they can turn into any kind of cell within that limit. So it's like stem cells are great athletes and progenitor cells are great football or basketball players. That's right. Progenitor cells actually come from stem cells. When stem cells reproduce, they either create more stem cells or progenitor cells. Well, why not use the more versatile stem cells then? Why grab a nail file when you could have a Swiss army knife? Because we already have progenitor cells in our ears. They're the ones that originally generate those little ear hairs when we are still inside our mother's womb. Why don't they make more hair cells on their own then? After we're born, they actually just kind of check out for the rest of our life, but they're still in there. They stay dormant on their own, but these researchers were able to turn those progenitor cells back on. They could grow more of those hair cells in adults. The approach involved injecting these tiny little molecules into the inner ear and turning the dormant progenitor cells into specialized ear hair cells. And because it uses our own cells, we don't have to extract them, change them in a lab, and reintroduce them to our ears. It's like having a little home garden rather than buying vegetables at the grocery store. Very cool. It's an incredible idea, but have we done any human trials yet? So far, they've given the drug to 200 patients and seen meaningful improvements across three separate trials. Patients improved their speech perception. Some patients who couldn't hear for decades said they could hear their children in crowded restaurants once again, all without implants or hearing aids. So what's next? Are we going to have eardrops for boosting our hearing at the counter of the gas station soon? Well, that kind of enhancement still has a long way to go. Frequency Therapeutics is starting another 124-person trial, which we should have results from early next year. I hope it goes well. Hearing loss affects so many people, and its effects are more than just missing a word here or there. Oh, exactly. Hearing loss also has side effects like social isolation and depression. What's more, this technology of working with our own progenitor cells might be a solution for treating other ailments. They're going to kickstart other dormant cells in the body? That's kind of the plan. The company is developing a drug for multiple sclerosis. They might be able to use progenitor cells to create a backstop and possibly even counteract the degeneration of the brain and nervous system. Hmm. Using our own bodies to solve our problems. 
that can make a huge difference in more easily treating all sorts of issues. It's like we've all got the power within us. We just need a little help. Do you know what the oldest question about chickens is? Uh, why it crossed the road? Or if the chicken or egg came first? I forgot there are so many good chicken questions, but no. Something even more basic, where they came from. A recent study decided to map out the origin story of modern chickens. Where did they come from? How long have they been around? How old is the modern chicken? After evaluating about 600 locations in 89 countries where ancient chicken remains had been found, researchers say that chickens first came to the scene around 1650 BCE in central Thailand. And what's more, domestication probably happened around rice fields. Well, I mean, chicken and rice is a classic combination. I just didn't know it went this far back. The study found that the rice acted as a sort of magnet for chickens. They ate the rice grains, as well as an older cereal type of grain called millet. Since the chickens liked the grain so much, you'd find more of them near these grain-growing areas. More chickens meant more potential for the chicken to interact with human farmers. Researchers say that probably sped up the domestication process. Was it because it was easier to catch them in a rice field than in a forest or something? <laughs> That'd make a lot of sense. What I find fascinating, though, is that these earliest known chicken remains weren't eaten. They were actually found buried in human graves with no signs of being butchered at all. Does that mean people kept chickens as pets? Okay, we can't be sure. What the study did find was that the cultivation of both chickens and rice spread across Asia, Africa, and then Europe over the span of hundreds of years. But in many of these early instances, the chickens were more than likely seen as special or sacred creatures rather than a food source. Which they are. Right. Another recent study reinforced these special bonds when it found that even though chickens were introduced to Europe sometime in the first millennium BCE, the British didn't start eating chickens or eggs until around 300 AD, hundreds and hundreds of years after they came to the continent. Well, once they started eating them, they didn't stop. What makes something go from sacred to lunch staple, though? Well, if you're a history buff, you'll know that many major advancements in society at that time can be attributed to the Roman Empire. As the empire's influence spread, there would have been numerous Roman-inspired urban sites, like pubs or restaurants, across Europe, especially in the last few hundred years before the fall of the Roman Empire in 476 AD. Researchers say it's likely these places served chicken as a delicacy. So the British followed the Roman lead? We can't be sure, but that's what it looks like. What we do know is that as time went on, the practice of consuming chicken and eggs became more popular in an increasing number of European countries. They weren't sacred anymore. They were food. The demand increased so much that soon after we saw the creation of mass chicken breeding, something today's society is familiar with. Well, okay, where are we today then? As of 2021, the UN Food and Agricultural Organization say there are almost 26 billion chickens in the world for the around 7.7 billion people. That's almost three and a half chickens for every person on Earth. They've come a long way. I'm just glad they took that first step in those rice fields more than 3,000 years ago, or else I'd be missing out on one of my favorite breakfasts. You know what they say, if you want to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs and or domesticate some deities. Right. Hey, what if I told you that someday soon, you might not need to plug your phone in, it could self-recharge? You mean I could finally get rid of my iPhone charging cord? Possibly. Okay, I want details. Well, before we get to the details about the phone, let's talk about something very closely related. Solar energy. What are the downsides? Uh, the fall and winter seasons provide way less sunlight. 
and in some areas, they might not see the sun at all for months. Plus, there's the fact that night exists. Right. And solar energy may be one of the cleanest energy sources we have available, but it's also pretty tricky to get it working on a large-scale level. There are policy, infrastructure, and market issues that complicate its use. Even if everyone covered their houses and solar panels, we would still need some more practical long-term solutions to utilizing the sun's energy. And this is what has led researchers to create the MOST project. The MOST project? It's an acronym, and it stands for Molecular Solar Thermal Energy Storage and Release System. That is a mouthful. I am glad for the acronym. Me too. MOST aims to create new tech that can gather and most importantly, store the sun's energy by using heat. Using heat to capture heat? How does that work? Well, through a whole lot of complicated molecular science, but let me try to explain. The process basically rearranges atoms to create a liquid energy byproduct. That byproduct can be used for energy even when the sun isn't present. So like overnight? What if it's cloudy for a few days? A few days is no problem. This stuff can be stored and used for up to 18 years. Oh, wow, that is great. And during that time, it could be used to power heating and cooling systems for the solar panels, drastically reducing the carbon footprint these systems usually leave. So is the liquid stuff powering the panels? Not exactly. The liquid stuff is for storage. You'd actually be powering them with heat. A specially designed catalyst is used to convert the liquid back into its original molecular arrangement. And once it's been converted, it can be used as a heat energy power source. That sounds like a pretty intensive process. How would we be able to use that in our phones? Ha! That's where a recent breakthrough by the MOST project comes in. The research team has now successfully converted the liquid into electricity as well. Electricity, of course, needed to power the phone. Yep. Now, it takes a full thermoelectric generator to make the conversion process work. But the coolest part, you can ship this stuff. You can ship it? Yeah, researchers tested it. They captured sun energy in Sweden, then shipped it to China, where it was extracted and used as electricity. Kind of like a battery, which currently power the phones. Okay, so if the energy is usable in phones, the generators must be tiny. They're really just ultra-thin chips, no different than other chip tech that's commonly used in phones, smartwatches, headphones, etc. So how soon could I theoretically recycle all my charging devices? Well, the team's only really been able to generate small amounts of electricity, not enough to power a device yet. But the mere fact that the conversion works and is actually applicable is a huge step forward in adopting a large-scale solar energy system. Which means a huge boost not only to our devices, but also the planet. It would help cut down on emissions and pollution, as well as begin the shift away from the destructive and expensive mining processes used to gather battery minerals. Captain Planet's going to be very proud of us. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. New research is showing promising results for reversing hearing loss without hearing aids or implants. The secret? Creating new hairs in our ears by supercharging the cells our body already has. New technology could allow for solar energy to be stored and used periodically for as long as 18 years. While the tech is still in its infancy stages, the possibilities of its applications for solar charging electronics could be a massive step forward for large-scale implementation of clean and renewable energy sources. Chicken and rice spread across the world together almost 4,000 years ago, and for much of that time, people didn't eat poultry. Though today we raise nearly four chickens for every human to feed our appetite for white meat, for nearly 2,000 years, they were seen as sacred and special creatures not to be snacked on. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 